Okay, would you please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. Luke. Luke, he wrote this Gospel, and he also wrote the book of Acts. He was contemporary to the other Gospel writers and the people associated with Jesus' ministry on earth. He was a physician, the Bible says, whatever that meant in the first century. And he was the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. He also died a martyr. He was hung at the age of 84 for his profession of Christ and for his preaching of the gospel. So in verse 1, it says, Many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Notice he says, not just those things that happened among us, but those things that have been filled not just happened, but prophecy fulfilled. Right from the book of Genesis, right from Genesis 3.15, where God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And all through, Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy that there was in the Old Testament, that there is in the Old Testament. Uh, to the book of uh, of. Uh, Isaiah says, and we all know, are familiar with this, but it's such a great prophecy, I just want to read it. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he was, and he, he was put him, he has put him to grief, when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made transgression for the inter and made intercession for the transgressors. 
Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy that there is about the coming of the Messiah. So Luke writes, I'm writing to you about those things that were fulfilled among us. In verse 2 he says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. People say that the Bible was just written by men, that it was just traditional myths handed down. Those who wrote the Gospels and the Epistles stated that they saw Jesus. They heard him say the words which were related to us. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him arrested and crucified. And they saw him alive, risen from the dead. And for this, they were martyred. They were murdered because of what they stated. Peter, for example, was crucified. Tradition says upside down. Luke was hung. And to escape a life of persecution and hardship, what they all went through and ultimate martyrdom, all they had to do was recant and say, what we declared to you wasn't true. It was some type of mass hallucination or something. Yet none of them did. Some would say, some would say that many, there have been many in many areas of life who have given their lives for what they believed was truth. But I think that no one would willingly give their lives for a lie that they knew was a lie, that they had originated. People would only give their lives for a lie if they have been deceived. No one would die for what they know was a total lie. Few deceivers would give their lives for deceptions they had originated. Verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis, so he's writing to this man, Theopolis, and what he's saying is, I have researched this with my whole heart and am fully convinced of the truth. Theopolis, his name means a friend of God, and some people think that maybe Luke was writing to all Christians, but he was probably a high-ranking Greek or Roman official. Some believe that maybe Luke was his physician. Some even think that maybe Luke was a slave to Theopolis as his personal physician. Verse 4, he says, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The certainty of those things. Second Peter 1.16, Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. This is the Herod that killed the innocents when he was trying to kill the the king, and killed uh, all the infants two years old and younger. 
And because there were so many priests at that time, they were split up into divisions, and they took turns ministering in the temple. And now it's Zacharias's turn. Six, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They were blameless. It doesn't say they were sinless, but they were blameless. Ephesians 1.4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Blameless. No one could point at this couple and accuse them of hypocrisy. To be able to be blameless, to be unashamed, to stand unashamed before God. We will be able to stand before God because of the cross and only because of the cross. But in the letters in the book of Revelation, Jesus said to the churches, I have something against you. And it was something that they had allowed into their lives, something they had allowed into the church and something into their individual lives that was robbing them of the blessings of Christ. To be blameless means you don't suffer loss. 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Those who are blameless are found in Christ because they believe the gospel, and with Christ because Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So how do we be blameless? It talks about obedience to the faith, doing the will of God from the heart, and confession of sin when we, when we fail to be blameless. Verse 7, it says, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So they had no children, and it didn't look like they were going to because of their age. But God with whom nothing is impossible, and who works all things according to the counsel of his will, as a blessing in store for them. Verse 8, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You know, as a child of God, we have to ask ourselves, what are we anxious about? Do not fear is said over and over again in the Bible. Jesus was constantly saying it to his disciples. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard. Can we pray and rest in the Lord? The Bible says, take no anxious thought, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. You know, 
can we pray and rest? I think of Hannah, who was going through so much grief. She was being harassed by her rival, her husband's other wife, and going to the uh, to Shiloh, to the tabernacle. She, she was just weeping. And going into the tabernacle, she's weeping and praying and giving all her heart to God, giving all her troubles to God. And then she goes home, and the Lord blesses her and answers her prayer and heard her prayer. But I picture you know, her going there, weeping and crying, and her coming home peaceful because she gave it to the Lord and she left it there. She was able to give it to the Lord and rest, knowing that her prayer was heard. Can we pray and rest? Can we pray and wait on the Lord? When we have a decision to make, can we pray about it? Can we put it up to the Lord and wait till the Lord gives us direction? Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He will show us the way if we pray and wait on him. We have to live by faith. How exciting to have your life and security based on the supernatural and not the natural. Living by faith is an adventure. You know, it's what we try to get across to the kids in Sunday school. You know, do you want your life to be mundane and boring? Then don't ever open up that book. Don't do what God says. Do you want your life to be adventure? Adventure, then live by faith. And we define living by faith by let God take care of you. He will have mercy on those who look to him. When we have to make a decision, pray and wait. Psalm 103.17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. He will have mercy on those who pray, those who give everything to him and wait. God has mercy on those who depend on him and wait for him. But what if I make the wrong decision? What if I, I'm under pressure or whatever and I make the wrong decision? What will happen then is God will have mercy. Philippians 4.6 says it all. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, because we know the Lord's going to hear us and we know the Lord is going to answer our prayer. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's great when we have something facing us and we don't know how to deal with it and we pray and we're anxious about it, something that's making us anxious, something that's causing fear in our hearts, and we give it to the Lord and we pray and that peace comes because we know that God heard us and we just rest in him and trust in him. Your prayer is heard, the angel said to Zacharias. Your prayer is heard by your father. Zacharias's greatest joy was probably the fact that he had been born into this family of priests and it was his privilege to serve in the temple. But God always has something better for us, something more for us, something more joy for us. He always desires to bring us closer, to bring us higher. And we tell the kids in Sunday school, there are two words that you will never hear from the Lord, go away. And there are two words that you will always hear from the Lord, come closer. And come closer is what God is about to accomplish in Zacharias' life. Verse 14, so he says, your prayer has been heard. Your wife is going to have a son. And verse 14, it says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, 
for he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This child, Zacharias, is going to bring great joy into your life. He's going to be filled with the Spirit. He's going to serve God. His life is going to be devoted to God. And that is the prayer for our children, that they live, to have a child whose life is devoted to God. What a blessing it is to see the kids in this church, to see six-year-olds. You can tell by their knowledge of the Word of God, and you can just see it in their hearts, that that's someone who is going to be devoted to God, even at that age. And that's our prayer and our hope for kids, that they live. John said, I have no greater joy than these things than these things that I hear of my children walking in truth. And he was talking about people in the church, but for parents, that's it. That's our greatest joy, to see children walking in the truth. There's no greater joy than that. And many people have prodigals in their families. Some have grown up in the church, grown up in Christian families. They've been taught the word of God. They've been prayed for, and they leave. They have been taken captive by this world. And we pray and be like the father of the prodigal son in the Bible who is sitting there watching for his son, watching to see him come walking down the road, coming home. And we just pray that our children would come home. And there's an encouraging scripture. It's in Jeremiah 31.15. Thus says the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for, his, for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they were no more. Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. There is hope in your future. Your work will be rewarded. You know, to, when your children, did you tell them about Jesus? Did you bring them to church? Did you pray for them? Did you pray with them? Do they know the truth? Have they heard the gospel? Your work will be rewarded. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Verse 16. And he, this son that they're going to have, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's been 400 years without a word from the Lord, and now all of a sudden this John the Baptist comes. It's like a breath of fresh air for the whole nation. John didn't do any miracles. He comes in the power, spirit and power of Elijah, but the power his ministry would bring back Israel to their God in heartfelt repentance, hearts prepared for the Messiah, to open the door for life to come back to the nation. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. You know, it's like Zacharias, your prayer that you've been praying for years is now being answered in a way more glorious than you could ever have imagined. And Zacharias says, I don't think so. Instead of receiving with joyous acceptance and faith, there's quenching doubt on Zacharias's part. You know, he's like, I know we're here to pray. That's what this whole incense thing is about. It represents the prayers of the people going up to God. But there are some things that are impossible that I can't even imagine them happening. 
Maybe that's one reason why the church has lost its effectiveness in our culture today. We've stopped praying for impossible things that we can't imagine happening. Do we believe that God will answer our prayers? It's either yes or no or wait. However God answers, it's perfect. Some, an interviewer once asked Orson Welles, do you pray? And he said, no, I don't want to bore God. And sometimes we think that way sometimes. That with all the things happening in the world, with all the misery that's in the world, all the travesties that are taking place, my concerns seem, seem so insignificant. But there are no small things with God. God is great to handle the big things and the small things. Someone once said, a great sea feeds small streams and creeks. There are no small things with God, and there are no big things with God. He only does marvelous things. Jeremiah 32.25 says, And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money. So the Chaldeans have come in. They've taken over the city. They're taking the people captive. They've taken this king away and brought him to Nebuchadnezzar. Things couldn't look more worse. The people are starving in the city. There's plague. And the Lord tells Jeremiah to buy a field, prepare for the future in this land. And Jeremiah says, you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And everything he says is going to happen is going to happen. The big things and the small things. Mark 11.24 <clears throat> says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now it doesn't give us carte blanche to pray for, you know, name it and claim it. Um, Luke 11.11 says, If a son asks for bread from my if a son asks for bread from, my, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And there is no other more needful gift than that. And God is more willing than we are. He's more willing than we know to give us good things, to give us every good gift is from above. Do we believe that God can and is willing to give us good things? Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. If that's how God treats his enemies, if God reconciles his enemies through the death of his son, what will he do for his children? What will he do for those who have been reconciled? There's no limit. 1 John 5.14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Someone once said, God hears your prayers as if you are the only one on earth who is praying. If we ask according to, to his will, John said. So what is the will of God? What does it mean to ask according to his will? 
How do we do that? John 6.39 says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. John 6.40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, your sanctification. What is according to his will? Those things that give life. This is the will of God, that we live in the life that is and is truly life and forever. The things that give life. The things that sustain life. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. His name speaks of his nature. Exodus 33.19 says, Then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will be compassionate. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Exodus 34.5 says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We pray knowing the goodness of God. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, a close relationship. Abba, Daddy, Father. James talking about wisdom but I think it can be replied to anything that we play, pray for. It says in James 1.6, But let him ask in faith without, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let that, not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What doubts do we have when we pray? Do we doubt his ability or his goodness when we pray? So verse 19, back in Luke, says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. So Gabriel has told him, you're going to have a son in your old age. Elizabeth is going to have a child, and this child is going to be great. He's going to bring great joy to your life. And Zechariah says, I don't think so. I don't see how this can happen. I don't see this happening. And to paraphrase verse 19, the angel says to him, Zacharias, are you kidding me? I'm Gabriel. I'm an archangel. I stand in the presence of God, and God sent me to give you this great news to tell you what's going to happen, how he's going to bless you, and you're saying this, you don't think it's going to happen? Verse 20, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. So for the next nine months, Zacharias, you aren't going to be able to speak to anyone. You're not going to be able to talk. Someone might say, gee, God is punishing him because he didn't have enough faith and had some 
some honest doubts, actually this is a blessing from the Lord. Anything that God does that causes us to draw closer to him and believe what he says is a blessing. God's will is that we live, and we live by faith, believing what God says and rejoicing in what he has done. If you were to ask Zacharias, if you were to go up to him and say, man, that was pretty tough, nine months without being able to speak, pretty tough thing to go through, to be cut off from all human contact. I'm sure Zacharias would say, those were the best nine months of my entire life. There was only one person I could talk to, and only one person who could hear me. I have never been closer to my God than now. Trying things happen in our lives, sometimes because of circumstances beyond our control, and sometimes it's our own fault. We gotta remember that God only desires one thing, that we have life and that more abundantly. Everything that goes through his hand is for that purpose. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. There's only one thing that God wants us to do, really, and that's to live, to receive that eternal life that Jesus has came to give us. Verse 21, And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. So he goes home, and Elizabeth says to him, Zacharias, we never talk anymore. But Abijah's listening skills greatly improved. Except for one thing. I think he was also, not only could he not talk, but I think he was also made deaf that he couldn't hear. Because it says, when they wanted to, let, when they wanted to know what to name the baby, they made signs to him to let them know what they wanted. He couldn't hear them, what they were saying to them. A double blessing. Only one person could hear him and only, only one person that he could hear. Never been, probably never been closer to his God than during this time. And that's God's desire. 24, now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me and to take away my reproach from among the people. She finally was going to be able to have a child. No doubt spending that time thanking and praising God and just reveling in the goodness of God. And I don't think she knew the half of it. She knew she was going to have a child, but she doesn't know that this child is going to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now we get to Mary. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We're going to see a different response from that of Zechariah. Not one of unbelief, but one of faith. Now, Nazareth was like the armpit of Israel. You know, one of Jesus' disciples said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Sort of like uh, sending an angel to Rochester. 
and we're going to see the response of Mary. This was probably, she was betrothed to this man named Joseph. This is probably a prearranged marriage, an arranged marriage. The betrothal, betrothal was made a year before the actual marriage. There are some uh, extra biblical accounts, and Jewish, Jewish history tells us that Mary was probably between 12 and 14 years old when all this was happening. Verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And she was blessed among women, chosen by God to bring the Messiah promised back in Genesis into the world. Back in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I don't think the church has done Mary many favors. The Catholic Church worships her for, to some degree. They pray. You know, many parts of the Catholic Church pray to her. She's become an object of idolatry. And the Protestant Church, probably in avoidance of that, has, I think, diminished her role in the grand scheme of things. But a study of Mary's life would be encouraging study for anyone, especially young people, especially young girls. She is one of the main and greatest heroes of the Bible, one of the great heroes of faith. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She heard what the angel said, and she starts thinking about it, pondering it. There's a, there's a few episodes like this where it says that Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. She was a thinker. Mary, hearing and pondering. Ponderers hear from God, those who think. Those who hear what God says and think about it and meditate on it, those are the ones who hear from God. Verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found grace in the sight of God. You have found favor. Noah, Moses, all the heroes of faith, it was said of them that they found grace in the sight of God. And in order to find grace in someone's sight, you have to look into their eyes. You have to look to them. Like the woman who was caught in adultery and they brought her before Jesus and threw her down in the dirt. When Jesus lifted her out of the dirt, what did she see when she looked into the eyes of God? Mary knew her God. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall, be, and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the English transliteration of the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua. We also translate Yeshua as Joshua. It is made up of two parts, Yah, the first part of the word, and Yahweh, or Jehovah the personal name of the Jewish and true God, and Shua, meaning to save. God, the Son, when he was born, a man was given the name Yeshua, or God will save, because Jesus would save his people from their sins. Verse 32, the angel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. No doubt who this child is, the Messiah. And he will sit on David's throne forever. And that's what we're waiting for. And that's what we're looking forward to. The kingdom, God's kingdom to be on earth. Jesus reigning on earth. Can't wait to see it, to, to see that time. 
Mary is not the mother of God. If God has a mother, then he is not God. She was the mother of the man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is divinity. Jesus is not a created being. Verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. She wasn't doubting that it would happen, thinking in the natural. She's just wondering how. How is this going to happen? And she's told that it's going to be a miracle birth. And what else could it be? If God were to send his son into the world to save the world, it would be a miracle. He alone does wondrous things. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing is impossible. That's the one that we pray to and depend on, our Father, our Abba, with whom nothing is impossible. Children look to earthly fathers for substance, but they can only do so much. Our Father can do more than we can even imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church of by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or can even imagine, and who is willing to do it. Then Mary said, and I think we'll end with this one because this is the one we should take home with us. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And that's it. That's our, that's our prayer. Mary didn't understand. She didn't have full comprehension of this revelation. But she simply desired God's will for her life. We know the what of the word of God. We know what God desires. We know what we are to be, and we know what we are to do. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come to me, come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We know the what. We know what God has said. What we need to know is the how. How do I do this? How is this accomplished in my life? Jesus said, "This without me you can do nothing. And the how we do what God says is through this prayer, through Mary's prayer. Let it be done to me according to your word. I hear what your word says. I may not understand it. I am helpless to accomplish it. But I want to be able to think and do and speak and live according to your will. If this prayer isn't answered, let it be done to me according to your word. If that prayer isn't answered for those who truly desire God's will for their lives, then the Bible isn't true. But it is true. So, let's pray. 
So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. May it be done to us according to your word, Lord, we pray. Your will be done. We thank you and praise you for your goodness, Lord. For your desire for us is better than we can even desire for ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.